0: Colossians 4 and verse 3 is where we'll be landing here in just a moment. We looked at verse 2 last week, where Paul encourages us, commands us even, to be devoted or constant in prayer, to persevere in these things, with and keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. But he asks prayer for himself, which is so startling. It's like asking... Or, or, or a, just a pro athlete or something saying, "Pray for me that I would do a good job in my uh, serving or hitting or tackling or throwing or whatever that thing is." Somebody who excels in this and has just proven himself as a as a qualified uh, person knows what he's doing or she is doing, and yet. Ask prayer, humble himself, and asks, even a thing where he's very skilled and talented and experienced in, he says, pray for me in this regard. Let's read these verses beginning at verse 2 and verse uh, through verse uh, 5, I think it is who I have here for this morning. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak the mystery of Christ for which I also have been bound that I may make it manifest in the way, way I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, redeeming the time. Let your words always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should answer each person. He has said to us that we should be constant in prayer, that we should have such a high... What's often referred to as a God consciousness and awareness that God is active, that he's present, he's not absent, he's not somehow distant, somehow we need to get his attention, we need to say, hey, hey, pay attention to me for a minute. God is always there, the problem is we're not always with God, we we don't always draw near to him, we don't always find our identity in him, and so we need to cultivate that that mindset that attitude where we're constant in prayer do you remember in in Nehemiah chapter I think it's chapter 2 but chapter 1 Nehemiah receives word about the the embarrassing situation of his homeland Jerusalem his home city Jerusalem that it is without walls and defenseless and it's a shame and a reproach to his people and so he confesses his sins and and develops a plan in, in uh, so many words but when he comes before the king of course he was the cupbearer to the king when he comes before the king and the king notices that his face was was uh, sorrowful he said what's this about and of course ne- what what happened next is so startling because Nehemiah prayed to the Lord God and answered the king wait a minute you don't want to king- keep the king waiting right so this wasn't a long prayer this wasn't a uh, hold on a minute and let me go and seek the Lord for for a few hours this is a quick God help me, and then he answered the king. That's the kind of God consciousness that we ought to be cultivating, where we have any upset, any difficulty, any opportunity, anything in our lives, we should lay before the God, before God and then act and do and speak and, and do what God wants us to do. Nehemiah is an example in so many different ways, but in that regard, that, that being quick to pray and petition and thanksgiving and supplication is what we can see from his life. Paul, in these verses, verses two to four, he gives that command, devote yourselves to prayer, and he gives uh, two maybe qualifying or modifying ideas. What does it mean to be devoted to prayer? First, we looked at, and I was last week, being watchful, uh, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, and you can go back and listen to that message if you, if you weren't here, but that second aspect, he says, what does it mean to devote yourselves to prayer? Pray for us. Pray for us. Being watchful, one thing, but praying for us. Asking God to help us. What does he ask God to help us with well he says here in verse three that we should be praying that we should be speaking to the lord praying is as simple as just talking to the lord and you think well where is god do we need to go into a special place or or sit down or or lie down or kneel or or close our eyes or or you know have the scripture do we need to do it at a specific time of the day or or a specific location do we need to turn and face which way is jerusalem or where's heaven where's jesus none of that talk to him he is so close at hand he is so ready to hear he's ready to bend his ear right down into the prayers that he that we offer to him it's not an issue of of timing or or posture you know physical posture it's more an attitude and a mindset of submission and dependence upon god always finding him as our sufficiency, always finding him as the great source, not just another resource. Like we said, I've got a, a pretty sizable checking account balance. I've got my health. I've got this vehicle. I've got a full tank of gas. I mean, how much is that worth nowadays? Those are all resources. Those are all things that come and go. God himself is the source of all these things. He's the father of lights. He is the great giver of all these things. We look to him he is able to turn water into wine. He's able to open the eyes of the blind. All these wonderful things that he has done, he's able. He hasn't somehow forgotten how to do those things. He does that for, for various people, not because we deserve it, not because uh, of various things, but because he is God. He is supernatural. He is wonderful. And so we pray to him, praying for Uh, these wonderful things to God, for God to act. But he says here in verse 3 that we should be praying at the same time. So as you're praying, as you're praying for yourself, as you're giving thanks for what you see God doing, pray for us. Pray for us at the same time. In the course of your prayers, make sure that you remember us at the same time and contemporaneous to that uh, time when you're praying for other people. Make sure that you are asking God on our behalf. He says praying at the same time for us as well. Don't forget to pray for us. Remember how Samuel uh, said when, when Saul, all the drama that was going on with Saul, and Samuel said, "I will not sin by." Neglecting to pray for you, now Saul was going off. You know, the thing about turning to the right or left, he was going. I don't know which direction he was going. But he was not following after the Lord. He was not obeying what God the Father wanted him to do. But Samuel continued to pray for him and mourned even uh, dereliction of duty and and just the embarrassing shame that that Saul brought upon israel during that time paul says pray for us as well as you're praying for other things pray for us as well pray concerning us pray that that god would act in our lives that he would be faithful to do the things that he is doing we have many examples of praying christ himself of course uh encourages us in his model. He always prayed. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for us. Can you imagine? John chapter 17, he prayed for those who have not seen, those who will hear the gospel. Jesus prayed for us in that that high priestly prayer in John 17. He prayed for lots of different folks. The apostles prayed for various people. Uh, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, uh, back in Acts chapter 10. And that, of course, was leading into the evangelization of the Gentiles, which we'll return to that idea in just a moment. But praying at all times, Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times with all prayer and petition in the Spirit, and to this end being on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. You think, I can't pray for everybody. You know, it's kind of like that prayer that we often offer. God bless all the missionaries in the world. Amen. Well, that's good, but maybe you can pray more specifically. Maybe there are some specific missionaries that you want to follow and receive their correspondence so you can pray intelligently about them. Maybe you want to pay attention to, as as Linda mentioned, our Slack channel, our prayer channel that has all kinds of prayer requests that come and go and different ways that we can act and help and do things. Maybe you want to come on a Wednesday night and hear these these updates and receive the prayer sheet which I've misplaced that has all kinds of things to pray over it and ask God to work concerning. Pray for us. Pray for each one. Pray for God to work and act. We pray for ourselves of course. We shouldn't say, well, you know, I've got everything covered. God thank you. You can work on other people now. Serve them and and I'm doing fine. Well maybe we can say that on occasion, but everybody needs the Lord. Everybody needs to pray and praying for for other people, he says, what who is this for us? that he's talking about. Paul could say, pray for me, pray for me, which he has said on various other occasions. But he says, pray for us. Pray for uh, me, Paul, the apostle, of course, as he introduces himself back in chapter 1. Also, Timothy is there and speaks uh, or or is there to help Paul in the writing of this, this letter to the Colossians. Remember, uh, Colossians 1 and verse 1 said, Paul Apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. There it goes. And Timothy, our brother. So Timothy is with him. But Paul also lists some other people. Epaphras or Epaphras, who was probably the founding uh, founder of that church in Colossae. And also Tychicus. We'll see some other names that we'll see here in, uh, in chapter 4. Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, uh, Jesus called Justice. Luke and Demas or Damus, are, are mentioned there as well. And Paul is praying, hey, pray for us, we who are itinerant missionaries that are, are um, ministering God's word, God's grace, the, the message of salvation to all sort of people. Pray for us as we go out because the prayer that he asks is, again, like a pro athlete saying, hey, pray that I'd you know, hit that ball just the way that I've been uh, practicing for decades or whatever or had experience or, or these things. Uh, pray that, that I would be faithful in my specific task. So he, he says here, praying for us at the same time. And then he gives uh, two specific requests here. Two specific requests, b- verses 3 and 4. And he puts it this way, that God will open up to us and that I may make it manifest. So these two items or two prayer requests that God will open up, and we'll look at what, the, what is he opening up, and then that I may make it manifest. That God would give that opportunity and then I would use that opportunity. That I would enter into it and do what God has, has uh, provided for me to do. This is not a purpose statement necessarily. Pray so that, or as a result of your prayers, that this would happen. But it is the content. What is What are we supposed to pray for about uh, Paul and, and his associates there? That God may do something. That God may hear, it says, to open up to us a door for the word that God will open us to up to us when we pray by the way you can pray to God the Father, you can pray to Jesus the Son, you can pray to the Holy Spirit usually and again we go back to the model prayer of our Lord Jesus, the, the Lord's Prayer as it's often referred to and how do, how does Paul, how does Jesus encourage us to pray in that regard? He says, our Father who is in heaven So generally you want to direct your prayers to God even in the context of Colossians when paul refers to god the father he he uses the term god or or sometimes the father but when he wants to talk about jesus he uses use, usually uses the term lord now god the father is lord and and so it gets uh, it's somewhat redundant and different and yet there is that distinction that that paul makes when we pray we pray to god we pray to god the father you can pray to jesus pray to the spirit as well but we pray that God would, would do these things. When Jesus, of course, was on the cross, he prayed, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But also into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus had that submission to God the Father. And we also have that idea that he is the great uh, mover. He is the great uh, purposer and the purposer of uh, Ephesians 1 talks about he works all things according to the kind intention of his will. And so that's what we look for. We want God's activity to be expressed and evident in this crazy, mixed-up, rebellious world. What are we asking? God, would you please open up to us, for us, for the advantage of us, a door for the word. A door for the word, which is kind of a weird way to say it. What are we saying? I mean, does he you know, open a door? Well, we have doors, and we open them, and that's a lot of times we see that literal understanding of, of opening doors and closing doors, and we even talk about that when a oh, door was opened to me. We usually don't speak about in in a literal sense, more in a metaphoric or figurative figurative sense. Although, it's interesting, Paul could have said, Pray that God would open up this prison door and let me go free because I've got work to do. Do you remember where Paul is during this time? All of Colossians, during, while he's writing Colossians and Ephesians and Philippians and Philemon, he's in prison under house arrest in Rome. He's been there two years. Now before that he was over, we just read it this morning, he was shipwrecked. Well we haven't read the shipwreck part, but he's going to be shipwrecked on Malta and spend a winter there, three months I think he was there on that island, on his way to Rome. But before that he was two years under, under in arrest under arrest in Caesarea, back in Israel, Caesarea on the sea. And so for five years, essentially, by the time this is all done, he will have been in prison. Wouldn't you think? Hey God, isn't it about time I'm free? God, pray that God would open up this door and let me go out and do my work. If you read, and I don't have time to do it, read Philippians chapter one. You read the whole chapter, read the whole book. But especially Philippians one, I think it's verses 12 through 18, roughly, where Paul says, and I think the chronology of that is, uh, Ephesians and, and Colossians and Philemon are probably written w- when Paul didn't have a, a clear understanding of when he would be released. But Philippians, I think he's it's toward the end. And he, he's understanding, I'm about to be released soon. Maybe Philemon has a, a sense of that as well. But Philippians, really, he is confident that he will be released soon. And yet he says don't worry for me because my circumstances have turned out for the greater advancement of the gospel. The gospel has penetrated not just in my surroundings in Rome, but even into Caesar's Praetorian guard, even into Caesar's household. In fact, I think Philippians 4, 22 or 18, somewhere in there, says uh, those of Caesar's household greet you. So even some of, and who was the Caesar at that time? Nero, godless pathetic excuse for a guy just debauched and disgusting and yet some of his own household believe the gospel how does this happen in god's kindness people prayed back in acts 12 for peter and for peter to be released from prison but paul says you can pray for that fine but pray that god would open up for us a door not necessarily the prison but a door for the word so that we may speak this is what was going on as Paul is in prison. He's not idle during his time there. Can you imagine as the different Roman guards come in to monitor him under house arrest, of course, and he's there and what does he do? Talk about the weather, talk about the, the you know, the whatever sports teams or the gladiatorial, talks about Jesus, talks about the, the son, talks about the savior, the Gentiles, which all these Roman guys are Gentiles. And He is evangelizing, sharing the gospel. Paul says, pray that God would continually open up to us a door for the word, an opportunity. Do you remember the time when God didn't open a door for the speaking of the word? This is back in Acts 16 when Paul is on his uh, second missionary journey and he says, can we go this way? Nope. Can we go that way? Nope. Well, I guess we better go this way, to Troas. And that's what happened. And God had opened a door, and an invitation was extended through a dream and through all this, that that Paul would come to Macedonia. A man from Macedonia appeared in a dream and said, come on and, and uh, teach us or preach the gospel to us. And he did. So we see the contrast. Sometimes God closes doors, but Paul is praying that God would open up to us a door for the word. When Paul says uh, here figuratively that... God is opening a door, I think, on his mind, and I, I think it goes as we get into the, the rest of this verse, he is thinking specifically of the, because his, his apostleship is not to the Jews, as Peter's was, mostly, Paul's apostleship is toward the Gentiles. I mean, he would always go to the Jew first, of course, the synagogues first, but then he would turn to the Gentiles after the Jews would, would uh, refute and re- refuse the, the uh, gospel of Christ. Uh, Not everybody, of course, but but many in the synagogue, the synagogue leaders and so forth. So Paul turned to the Gentiles. Here he is praying that God would continue to open up that door, that he would minister God's grace, God's word of, of the gospel to the Gentiles. Acts 14 and verse 27, after the first missionary journey, Paul says, they told the apostles how... God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, opened up that opportunity for the Gentiles to believe. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he says, I'm going to stay in emphasis until this time for a wide door for effective service has opened to me. And there are many adversaries, but I don't mind the adversaries. We have an opportunity here. We have God providing a great Opportunity. Second Corinthians 2 and verse 12 has a similar statement. Uh, a door was opened for me in the Lord. This was his, his referring to going into Macedonium and other aspects of this as well. So God is opening these doors, doors which are usually meant to shut out and, and to restrict access. God is able to open. He's able to open opportunities. He's able to open people's hearts. Nobody else can do that. Paul and his persuasive teaching were trying to persuade men, but I can't do it. God has to open those people's eyes and minds to believe and embrace this gospel. Pray that I would have the opportunity to present the gospel, and then that I would enter into it. Thankfully, this is right in line. We pray in Jesus' name, of course. We pray in line with with him. This is exactly what God wants, what Jesus wants. He said, I will build my church. And so we say, God, would you continue to build your church? You do it by the preaching of the word, through the preaching of the word, the repentance, the belief in it. God, would you continue to do that? Please give us grace. Let us see your gospel penetrating into Caesar's household, the Praetorian Guard, these, these, recent, I mean, how in the world can that happen? The gospel entering into those restricted and sensitive areas. God is able to do it. God is able to open those doors. He says, this is a door for the Word, a door for the teaching of the Word, a door for the believing of the Word, a door for the Word to be embraced and lived out. This is the door, the opportunity that that God has provided for Paul. Now, he he gives us an example or an explanation or a, a further description of what does it mean, open up to us a door for the Word. Well, this, so that we may speak. It's not just... We wanted to pass out these scriptures, not that they did that necessarily. They didn't have a lot of extra copies of of God's word to pass out. They had preaching, and you had the the preachers who would then be uh, recited or or memorized. The key points of their sermons would be shared among people. We do have certain examples of literature. Of course, Colossians was a letter written and physically sent to the Colossian church and Ephesians and, and the others as well. But there wasn't a lot of that kind of manuscript you know tract uh, passing out of, of things, and so speaking was the primary means of communication of this kind of word and and preacher means to proclaim to herald to to present uh, publicly and officially as a representative of, of Christ and so he says, a door for the word is the opportunity for us to speak and utter again that that request or that prayer or that encouragement uh, preach the gospel at all times if necessary use words it is necessary to use words you can't just live the gospel you can't just act like a, a new person now we need to do that but we've got to preach the gospel it is through the the preaching and believing on the gospel that people are saved romans one16 the god i'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of god and the salvation for those who believe to the jew first and also to the greek so how are, how does god save people through the preaching of the gospel, through the sharing of God's word. It doesn't have to be just, you know, the official professional preachers, you know, don't try this at home kind of thing. Do try this at home. Do try this in the streets. Try it in the grocery stores. And wherever you are, preach the gospel. Speak God's word. Speak speak God's perspective on life. And what what He has said to us, so that we may speak. Now, a little inside baseball here. There's another so that we may speak. And isn't that same as what he said earlier? Uh, praying for us as well. That God, or in verse 4, that I may make it manifest. It's a little different construction here. I'll just leave it at that, which is why I didn't say this is another aspect of, another content of our prayer. It's a little bit different of how he constructs it here. The, the idea is a door for the word is equal to that I may speak, that I may speak. Actually, it says that we may speak or to speak God's word. What is he speaking? Verse 3 says the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ for which also I have been bound. What is this mystery? Now, a mystery is not something like ooh kind of a thing. It is something that was undisclosed, unknown even before. Just we didn't know, we didn't know kind of a thing. But then God revealed it. And we have the true revelation now. We have to put this again in the context of the Colossian heresy that's going on, all this mystery religion and inside knowledge and, and Gnostic knowledge, special knowledge that, that only us, us initiates know. And if you come in and join us, we'll share this special knowledge. Paul says that's a bunch of hogwash, foolishness. Forget about that. Run to Christ. In him dwell the mysteries of all wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2 and verse Two. he says uh, the full knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge verse 3 Colossians 2 2 and 3 and so we look to Christ we find him that is the mystery so you can understand it this way the mystery which is Christ because Christ is the embodiment the, the revelation of God he is the word of, of God incarnate he is the one the, the Hebrews 1 the final uh, word the last word that comes from the Father is through Christ but also we have something very specific that Paul has mentioned in uh, verse in chapter 1 but also he mentions that this here in verse 3 for which I also have been I have also been bound and again not to belabor the point but a little history lesson the reason why Paul is in prison this time is because he was accused anyway of violating the temple holy temple place by bringing a gentile into the temple and that was that's that wasn't true. That wasn't Paul did not violate the, the sanctity of the temple in any way in that regard. And that yeah, that was the accusation. That's what got him arrested in the first place back in, in Jerusalem. How he got transported down to Caesarea, and then he appealed to Caesar and went to, to Rome and to wait for his his uh, trial before Caesar. But it was because of his commitment to share the gospel to Gentiles. And you think, what's the big deal? Good grief, we're all Gentiles here. What's the big deal about sharing the gospel with Gentiles? Do you, do you remember back in Acts 22 when Paul is giving the, his defense or his answer to the crowd that is calling for his execution, calling for his destruction and away with his man, etc., etc., etc.? The thing that got him mainly in trouble is what he said at the very end of that, that, that uh, statement, that defense that he offers— in Acts 22, and he said, he quotes the Lord Jesus to him. He said, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul had that opportunity, that responsibility of sharing the gospel specifically with nations not Jewish. You know, there's either Jew and there's Gentile. If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. So it kind of summarizes it that way. What do you do in taking this gospel to the Gentiles? That's what Jonah the prophet hated. How dare you, God, take the gospel in a sense, the word of God's judgment, but also if you repent, God will forgive. How dare you command me to take your message to these Gentile nations who have done so much evil to Israel? Verse 22 of Acts 22 says, All the people were listening to Paul up to the statement, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And on it goes. Paul is bound from that moment for the next five years because of that accusation taking the gospel to the Gentiles this idea of Jew and Gentile together was a big deal in the first church, Romans, or Acts 15 the, the Jerusalem council how do, we have so many Gentile believers coming in how, how do we do this, how do we relate to it God provides salvation for both Jew and Gentile. I mentioned it before, but it, it bears repeating constantly because so many people would would take Romans one through sixteen and say what 's this nine through eleven thing? Let me just remove that out of the whole thing and just i mean that 's like a parenthesis, a little hiccup, a little little excerpt, a little where 's that coming from?" Don't you realize the whole of Romans is about the relationship between Jew and Gentile. And how can Jew and Gentile be one in one family? And how can the gospel come forward, not just to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles? I quoted Romans one sixteen, the gospel is the power of God, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans sixteen, verse twenty-five talks about that, that Jew and Gentile are together or that God provide, Christ provides salvation for both Jew and Gentile. That, I think, is the mystery of Christ that Paul specifically refers to. I mean, very, very focused uh, reference there, I think. Because you remember back in Colossians 1 and verse 27, he said, God has will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the mystery that's been proclaimed among the Gentiles. You can be saved too. You Gentiles can have this salvation. That which got him in hot water with the Jewish leaders is the reason why he has been bound. He has been uh, was arrested in the first place and now is committed to bringing that mystery to the Gentiles, bringing that, that wonderful uh, context. Romans, again, 16, verse 25 uh, says, The revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past but now is manifested... And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, what is the thing? He has made known or has been made known to all the Gentiles leading to the obedience of faith. Praise God. This is what Paul is imprisoned for. If he had just shared his gospel with the the Jews, maybe he wouldn't have got in such hot water. But he says, I've got to take God's message to everybody. That's my command. Even that the command that was given by Jesus back in Acts 9 when Paul is is saved, he says, Jesus says that he will bear my name before kings and Verse 15, Acts 9, 9 and verse 15. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias went out and did exactly what God had done. But even from that very beginning, Paul is positioned... To share the gospel with Gentiles. He says, This is the reason why I've been bound. This is the reason I'm in prison. I don't mind my imprisonment so much because, hey, like he says in Philippians 1, it's turned out to be pretty good. Not that he's in a cozy situation, all this, but his perspective is I get to speak God's word, I get to share the gospel, and I see fruit. I see people believing on this thing. Paul is so motivated, so taken, so consumed by this idea of sharing the gospel among the Gentiles. He says, Romans 11, verse 13, I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify or make much of my ministry. Paul even says it very specifically, Ephesians 3, and verse 1. He says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, it's because you guys that I'm in such trouble. Not that he resented or anything. He just says, I am suffering for Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. I have been bound. Now, again, this is the first Roman imprisonment. We don't have the second Roman imprisonment as I would refer to it. Specifically stated in Scripture, except as you would understand it, as Paul refers to it in Second Timothy, and especially in chapter four, but but really throughout Second Timothy, he says, "I am a I am suffering hardship, I am enduring hardship, even to chains as a criminal." That's his second uh, Roman imprisonment. This is his first one that isn't so hard as, as the second one, which terminates in his termination. He dies as the at the conclusion of that second, but we have looked at this so far. He says, verse 4, that I may make it manifest in the way I ought to speak. I want to have this this door open for me, so I have the opportunity to speak. I want God to continue to make provision for me to speak God's word, but then pray for me. One of the other aspects of Paul's prayer request for us to us is that I may make it manifest in the way I ought to speak. Again, this is like a professional. What, this is the Paul, the apostle, asking that he would speak what he's supposed to speak. Speak it clearly. You know, enunciate, make it manifest, make it visible, make it. Uh, Paul does not say that I may present it in just the, the precise way to to manipulate people into the kingdom or or somehow uh, surprise them with the gospel. No, Paul says. The power of God is the gospel. The power of God and the salvation is the gospel. Pray that I would not flub it up, not mess it up, not get in the way of the gospel, not miss a key point, or, or that I would somehow not give the full counsel of God, as Paul says in Acts 20. That he says, I want to make it manifest. I want to make it very clear. You know, I don't want to be a hindrance, a stumbling block to other people's faith. I want to speak what is true and right, and that if they reject that, it's not because they reject me so much or, or my presentation of it, but because they reject the message because I've presented it in such a pure form. I want to be uh, the, to make this, this message, this mystery, this gospel manifest or evident. I want nothing to detract from it. I want it to be very evident, very obvious to people that this is the gospel of God. I'm not making this up my own self. I didn't learn this from other people. This is the whole defense that Paul offers in Galatians 1. I am an apostle, and I was not taught it by men. I did not learn it from men. I received it from God himself, from Jesus Christ, revealed it to me. I, who was untimely born, he mentions in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, you know, I don't deserve, I persecuted the church of God, 1 Timothy 1, he talks about that. And so we see, I just want to get out of the way, says Paul. Lord, open up the door, and then I want to enter into that and present the gospel, no hindrances, no obstacles, that I may make it manifest, just as I ought to. It is literally, maybe you'd say it this way, as it is necessary for me to speak he says earlier that we may speak the word of christ the mystery of christ but he says i just want to speak it i just want to be faithful in my my presentation of that thing this is a necessary obligation paul says elsewhere you know if i woe is me if i preach not the gospel for i have you know it's a duty it's a stewardship it's a requirement that god has made of me specifically notice he says pray for us but now he says i'm talking about me that I may make it manifest, that I would, uh, that I would fulfill my obligation to Christ. I don't think Paul ever got over the fact that he was a persecutor of the church, that he was against Christ. And he, of all people, didn't deserve anything to do with God except judgment, condemnation for refuting and even kicking against Christ, refusing him as the Messiah. But once God, got a hold of him and changed his life, got him on that new uh, path, new foundation of Christ Jesus himself, uh, the king of the Jews, Paul said, I want to be faithful. It is, re- 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 1, it is required of a steward to be found faithful. I want to be faithful to the and I want to fulfill my duty. I want to speak forth this, this word of Christ. He says um, in Romans 15 and verse 18, I will not be bold to speak of anything except what Christ has brought about through me, leading to the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed and the power of signs and wonders and the power of the Holy Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and all around as far as Illyricum, which is modern-day Albania or even Macedonia, Albania, up that direction, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. He says all other things there in Romans 15, but he says, "I want to fulfill this task. I want to speak not just uh, you know a sale here or or you know life change or I'd be a life coach. I want to preach the gospel that gives uh, the oracles of God." He says, first Peter, Peter says it. First Peter 4:11. Whoever speaks, you speak the oracles of God. You're not making this up yourself. You better not be making it up yourself. Don't go into the pulpit. Don't go into a, an evangelizing situation and just start preaching." not the Word of God, preach the Word of God, which means you better know the Word of God. You better be aware of what Paul, God says, not just Paul, and Peter, and the others. What is God saying? How can you be based, how, how can you be sharing this mystery unless you know the content? Paul says, pray for us that we would make it clear, that we'd manifest it in these ways, in the way out to speak. That is the power we don't, we don't win people by our love, that we, we show that we are disciples by our love, but it's the Word that changes people's lives. It is the, the, like we say around here, we are committed to the ministry of the Word of God. We want God's Word to have its prevalence, have its place in our congregation, certainly, but in our daily speech, our, our thinking, so that we would be motivated to, even in our prayers, to pray God's word back to him, says, hey, God, you said this, and would you fulfill this promise? Nehemiah did it. Daniel did it. Reading God's word and saying, God, you said, and would you please do it? And God, you said you'd, you would save people. God, you said that you'd do this. Let me see you act. Let me see you uh, changing people's lives. Let me see you put on display or make your glory manifest. Glorify Christ and so that all people would, would embrace him as the Savior, as that one who is uh, sufficient for our life. Pray for one another. Pray specifically in this regard that we would have opportunity to share the gospel and then we would enter into that opportunity. It's not enough to say, hey, God, open the doors and we say, okay, somebody else go in. Hey, see that door is open. Come on, get in there. You enter into that door. You be ready to share that gospel. The good news, 1 Peter 3.15, be ready at any particular time. Uh, my father-in-law used to say it this way. There are only two seasons of, of uh, life that preachers need to be preaching the gospel, which is kind of nice. He says, this is Second Timothy 4 and verse 2, in season and out of season. So anytime, be ready to be, to be in, in a stance, ready to share the gospel, ready to share God's word. People talking about this modern you know, um, contemporary issue. What's God's perspective on it? What does God say about this? How can we help people to not just think under the sun kind of thinking, but how does God's revelation help us in our lives? It's not just something for theologians in a a remote corner of the world to think about these things. How does God's word change lives right here in our opportunities that God opens to us? Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you work in and through us. We know that we are vessels of clay, we clay pots, a lot of cracked pots around, but you are faithful and your word is true, and you are you are opening up opportunities for us to speak your word. We pray that we'd be ready, that we'd be in a stance and a position and a mind and even a, a measure of preparation to share your word, to share your perspective. We need to hear it ourselves and so we pray that we would preach the gospel daily to ourselves, the whole of your word, not just Jesus died and, and rose again the third day, but you are holy and we're sinners and we need a savior outside of ourselves a righteousness not in ourselves not in our works not in our family heritage not in our what we do or don't do but in christ alone is our hope and then to share that with other people to share that confidence when we turn from our sins embrace christ we have forgiveness and life and that christ is coming and everything pertains to christ it's not just you know about america it's not just about this year or or the summertime. It's about Christ. Everything orients about Christ. Please help us to speak His mystery. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.